Coming up this week, we preview the A qualifier for the 2022 ICC Men's T20 World Cup. Plus, Nick sits down with Venkat Ganesan and Dieter Klein of Germany. But first, a shout-out to our friends on Patreon. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. Up next, a look at the A qualifier for the Men's T20 World Cup. Ah, uh, yes. Another global tournament qualifier is in our future. The ICC T20 World Cup men's tournament for 2022. We're about to see the A qualifier. Welcome in to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner with me, Daniel Beswick, to preview the upcoming tournament beginning this weekend, boys. How are we doing? Because it just seems as if the cricket rolls on. Forget the 24-hour news cycle. It's a 24-hour cricket cycle these days between everything going on in both the full member and associate worlds. What's going on, Tim? Narrowly avoided being struck down by lightning again yesterday, so that was a plus. Driving home, I, I, I thought the lightning came close a couple of months ago, or a couple of weeks ago, I should say, where it was a few hundred metres away, but this was in, uh, yeah, I could see pretty much where it struck, and then as I was driving along listening to uh, the rebroadcast of ABC Radio National here, must have hit the dish or the uh, antenna of which it uh, is rebroadcasting. So the ABC was working, lightning came down, ABC was no longer working. So uh, <laughs> that made for a fairly, fairly eventful afternoon. Beyond that, just been busy, busy, busy. Unfortunately, with the cyclone around last week, there's been no cricket here for the first two weeks of the season, or at least it was supposed to be. But hopefully that's all good for this week for the women's smash sixes to get underway. But uh, no, otherwise I'm okay. I hear that our little... I was going to say a little boy. So you're not our little boy. Jesus. You know, you're, just, you, you're an equal. Our little, our little, a little boy is growing up. Daniel's getting on the plane and going to New Zealand. Are you excited about travelling internationally? Well, hopefully, when everyone hears this for the first time, I'll already be in New Zealand. So, first of all, kia ora to everyone from Aotearoa. <laughs> Um, fingers crossed everything goes okay with the flight i've drowned in paperwork i've got to say boys i've got a whole display folder ready with printed sheets ready to go uh a display folder did you have one ready to go or what like was that did you have to pull off like daniel 7a off it straight out of mr andrew's year 11 english class shout out uh mr mr andrew uh (laughs) loves his cricket too so hopefully he's listening in um yeah look looking forward to it but yeah there's a lot of paperwork and rigmarole i've been told and this obviously be not news after we've broadcast this but after i land in auckland i could be posted anywhere in new zealand to do my quarantine so i could fly to christchurch i could do it in hamilton i've got no idea so if you are listening to this i don't have a residential address in quarantine for gifts and hate mail so unfortunately you won't be able to find me uh which is probably a good thing nick how are you on the precipice of another global tournament qualifier, albeit split up into two. We'll talk about that in a second. But you spoke to Dieter Klein, and we'll hear from Dieter and Venkat Ganesan as well, the captain of the German national team. How did that go? And, and what do we have uh, looking in? What do we have in front of us with, with those two? Yeah, that was good chat. I uh, just had a bit of a discussion about what they've uh, they've been up to in their preparation, and uh, you know what's going on back home in in German cricket, and so, some of their their plans going forward so yeah quite quite interesting and uh looking forward to uh you know listening back to that uh, when we hear the podcast and yeah just on, on a personal note of i going away for a few days uh over the weekend camping slash uh you know on, on, a, on a friend's property so that'll that'll be fun while, while you're in over in quarantine Let's jump into the T20 Men's World Cup Qualifier A and a reminder that the global qualifier, the previous 14-team men's qualifier, has now been split into two groups of eight. So it's a 16-team tournament, but a qualifier A and a qualifier B. Qualifier A is being run this weekend, which we will preview on this show with Qualifier B beginning in July. Uh, A run-through of the teams, Bahrain, Canada, Germany, Ireland, Nepal, Oman, Philippines, and UAE. They've been split into two groups of four. The top two in the groups will progress to the knockout stages. First, 
uh, in each group play second of the other group. Those winners of those two semifinals will book a ticket to Australia for the T20 World Cup 2022 in Australia. With a final also played, that will likely just determine who will be in each of the first round groups. But just to quickly run through Group A and Group B, Bahrain, Germany, Ireland, and UAE in Group A. And Group B is Canada, Nepal, Oman, and the Philippines. A couple of intriguing matchups here, and we've had a quadrangular series in Oman to give us a little bit of context as to where the team's at, but I think the general consensus, not only between us three and in the emerging community, is that a lot of that quadrangular series was used to to tinker and to try a few different things and experiment with all of the sides. In saying that, we have seen a couple of of standouts, most notably the, the rise, the continued rise of UAE in this sort of space where they ended up winning the tournament, not undefeated. They lost on the final day, but managed to prevail on net run rate. Let's have a look first at Group A, Bahrain, Germany, Ireland, and UAE. Again, UAE, you'd probably say are the form side of the eight coming into the tournament. Ahmed Raza's side looked pretty well equipped across bat and ball. Uh, we'll talk about Mohamed Wazim's explosive hitting at the top of the order, but a couple of young players starting to come through in their sort of almost nearly completed rebuild across UAE cricket after everything that happened 18 months, two years ago. But I'll start with you, Nick. They almost look like the form team coming into this tournament. Yeah, I mean, that quadrangular series... Uh, that you mentioned was is kind of it didn't shed much light because it's it's like we've seen a few sort of good points from all the teams and we've seen a few bad points from all the teams and we're still kind of scratching our heads thinking well who's who's going to progress uh UAE definitely looked the most impressive there uh, especially with the bat you know their lineup um four guys made half centuries in that quadrangular um sort of recurring names by now Chirag Suri uh, Richard Arav and Mohamed Wazim that you mentioned and, and Rohan Mustafa. So, you know, the top orders finding form. The bowling was, you know, a little bit expensive in those games. Um, so potentially that's a concern. Uh, and yeah, their, their fast bowling stocks might be, as, as you've mentioned in our notes, uh, kind of uh, the, the Achilles heel because, you know, there's not really any, any standout fast bowlers coming through at the moment. And that seems to be the only real weakness because they've got a lot of spinners. They've got a lot of batters. I've uh, got a couple of wicket keepers. But just the, there's no you know top class fast bowler at the moment, and and they do lack that cutting edge at the top, uh, opening the bowling. But you know if if they can deploy the the spin bowling flotilla and and choke teams off, and then leave it to their batting, I, I think that's probably that's probably all right. Um, yeah, in terms of the the actual qualifier, definitely UAE are the, are the front runners. Ireland, I mean on paper, you would say are still the front runners for that second semi final spot, but. You know, Germany's seemed, uh, you know, the decline and and Venkat Ganesan seemed quietly confident that they were going to try and target, um, uh, you know, an, an upset. And I think, you know, looking looking ahead to those games, it, as we've discussed, you know, the just three group matches per team. You know, they they talked about looking to to go hard at the start early on with battle ball and and sort of try and make inroads early and and see where they can go from there. And so if if Germany do get a bit of a roll on. Uh, a lot of these, you know, <laughs> Ireland especially looks quite fragile for an upset. And then, you know, once you have one upset in a, in a small group like this, the whole thing's blown wide open. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't discount them. And yeah, Bahrain, as, as we've just talked about in the Asia Cup, had some guys to absolutely whack it as well. So yeah, I, I think if we're doing predictions, I, I think Ireland and UAE probably will do enough. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out either of the other teams. We'll get to those predictions in a moment, Nick. Keep them <laughs> in, in the holster for, for the very end here. It's like, just to quickly stay with UAE, just continue to be impressed by Mohamed Wazim's power at the top of the order. He's just a player that seemingly kind of has cricket video game power. It's almost like he's playing stick cricket. Like He could peel off 80 off 30 balls if he really wants to. And the way he kind of plays, is it's not old-fashioned aggression but it's a case of trying to stay very still and he does open himself up a little bit and clear that front leg but everything comes from a very stable base and just the way he times the ball is is outstanding and we mentioned I think last week Vrita uh, Vrita Aravind and, and the power that he has and the sound that comes off his bat as a young player coming through. He was one of the crop from the, the Under-19 World Cup of 2020. He played a shot to get off the mark in this quadrangular series. If you get a chance to go back and find it, make sure you do. It was the second ball that he faced and he managed to kind of play almost a swivel sweep pull for six where he kind of flicked it almost off off stump. It was one of the most impressive things I've seen in associate cricket in 
a long, long time. You touched on it, Nick, that the pace bowling is probably the Achilles heel. Kartik Planyapan Mayapan could play a part with his leg spin. We know he's a youngster as well. He kind of bowls in that traditional leg spin feel, uh, almost... I would kind of put him in parallels with someone like a Tanvir Sanger and then the Australian domestic circles. I kind of bowl in a similar fashion. But, Tim, I want to kind of bring up maybe Ireland with you. And after the, the first round of, of the T20 World Cup last year and their failures there, there were a lot of questions being asked, you know, talks of inquiries and investigations in, into how they went about their business there. It just seems, I think, from the outside that they are continually struggling with that transition from the golden generation of Irish cricket to the young crop coming through. We've seen a few players really stand up, the likes of, of Gareth Delaney and even Curtis Camper, particularly with the ball. He's more of a one-day player with the bat. They've left out Kevin O'Brien, who is the second most prosperous run scorer in Irish T20 international history. You would think that given their frailties with the bat, and we know that he did have a dip in form, you would think that they would still take him in the hope that, you know, he, he might come good. But I'm, I don't know. I'm looking at you, Tim. What what did you kind of make make of that and, and everything else going on in the upcoming uh, qualifier? Well, you said it there about Camphor, I think. You know, we saw that in the last game with him, him struggling in the middle overs. And I went back to check the strike rate, and he did only hit it just over 100. And you can't be doing that in... T20 international cricket if you're trying to get the game along there that really caused an issue and he was the only player in and around that 100 mark except one Gehendra Mala who was at 85 and I know we'll get to Nepal but in this tournament you know it was it was evident that the high strike weights you talked about the the lack of economy Nick about the UAE bowlers but on the flip side you know as you said you know Ireland with all the talk of inquiries and everything was changed the only thing that has changed is they've dropped their greatest ever cricketer yeah. so <laughs> You'd think that it's a big decision to make if you're not going to make wholesale changes or show a real change in direction except getting rid of Kevin O'Brien. You know, it's T20 cricket. It's short and sharp in terms of the, the length of this tournament. If we're talking about his age and his fitness, this is as close to irrelevant as it's going to be because it's going to be over in a week. So you'd like to think a man of his experience. And we, we've seen how fit he, he came back after COVID. It was probably the thinnest we've probably seen. I, don't, yeah. I know that doesn't necessarily mean he's fit, but for him to stay that healthy, I think, is is, is really good. But yeah, I, I'm with you there. Just Operation Sterling and Balburnie again with, with the bat and just hoping they get them through. And for all the chat of, of Sterling not getting picked up in the IPL, you know, he didn't do much here in Oman. And if he doesn't do much uh, in those group games, and I don't think they're necessarily in danger of not going through in the group as you could say they're arguably in the weaker of the groups coming up against uae but then germany and bahrain but in that those crossover games you know if we talk about inquiries i think there's going to be even more chat around that if ireland don't get out of this but these are the same names that we've seen in the side for a number of years simi singh still trying to play that double role whether he's going to be picked in all three sides and with brian he's not getting in the way of bowlers um, follow-throughs and potential catches. I don't know. We'll get onto that. So, you know, we talked about UAE's bowling being their biggest challenge. If Ireland don't bring it at the top of the order, they're really going to struggle because Lorcan Tucker, as great as he's been, all the pressure can't go onto his shoulders down the order. So, yeah. But the problem is, if you don't have the players to come through, then you can't, you know, just dropping people for the sake of it. What, uh, yeah, can, you, exactly. what can you do? And we know that Ireland are in a... A challenging position, you know, with a lot of their players not able to get that experience, that longer format, or even decent experience in in the county game and trying to build something themselves. That that's all well and done, but they're probably now kind of on a level pegging with a lot of other associates who don't have the luxury of, of an England next door or sharing a border in the case when you're looking at it from a UK point of view to be able to play. So yeah, they're a full member and they don't have that that ability, but we're now looking at them in this competition and I don't really look at them as sort of a, a full member when they're coming up against a UAE here or on the flip side, crossover against of any of the other sides, but we'll just say for argument's sake, Nepal, Canada, or Oman. So this is going to be a huge test. And if you'd say about all the other teams, who's got the pressure on them, and especially the UAE with this young team, of course, there's going to be a lot of self-belief and expectation from the likes of us, but really there's no expectation because these aren't huge names and then they won't be expected to go through, but there's a lot of expectation on Ireland. Nick, I, I'm looking at you, and while we were a little bit perplexed as to Paul Sterling not being picked up in the IPL, 
uh, a few people made you know a strong point that Ireland do have international responsibilities in that period and it's probably not worth risking a spot on someone like Paul Sterling but in saying that coming into this tournament he really I mean I think you make the point in in the dock that it's it's basically still all bust for Ireland. Yeah, I mean, it it has been that way for a number of years now, um, with with you know supporting acts from Balburnie and uh, Kevin O'Brien in the past. Balburnie looked good actually this tournament. He he was hitting some form and he was getting his runs at a decent clip. He can be a little uh, you know a little slow to get going, um, so that was encouraging. Um, but yeah, if if Sterling and or Balburnie fall early at the top of the order, there's really not a whole lot left. Um, Gareth Delaney was was zippy in the middle order there, but you know, playing a kind of quick fire twenty isn't the same as as holding the innings together, which is what you're going to have to get from either Balburnie or Sterling or ideally both if they're going to put a, a competitive target uh, on the board. A little bit wary of how much we've talked about the the stronger two of the group already. And I know we've we've briefly discussed Nepal, but to look at, at Bahrain and Germany, and a lot of these questions in regards to Germany will be answered when when you speak to, to Dieter and, and Venkat Ganesan, Nick. But looking at, at Germany, they, they reached the global qualifier this time on net run rate, which was kind of fitting given that they failed on net run rate so excruciatingly uh, for the, the qualifier in 2019. I think they missed out by a ball in their chase or something along those lines. And there's talk that there was probably a miscalculation in all of that as well. But just looking at the way that, that Germany are, are put together, they haven't played a lot of cricket really, especially with this quadrangular being played by four of the stronger teams in the eight and the other four kind of left to sort of uh, help themselves. There have been a couple of warm-up matches around that have been played that haven't really been shown to the public. But to quickly look at Germany, and looking at the way they qualified, it, it looks as if they qualified with strength through the ball. They kept teams to low totals. They defended a low total, I think, against Italy in, in one of the games, and then chased down small targets that were you know, helped, obviously, by a, a big bowling effort. It seems like Michael Richardson is the key for Germany with the bat. He's actually worked with Kyle Kutzer, I think their previous teammates at Northamptonshire. And, you know, there might be a great storyline should Germany miraculously qualify and Scotland are already at a global tournament and they get to take on each other. But it does look like Germany have focused more on their bowling strength. Than, and if they are to, you know, to cause any upsets, Nick, it's, it's going to be through the ball and chasing down low targets with the bat. Yeah, they they did struggle. I mean, the 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 European qualifiers, the pitch at the European qualifiers in Spain was a slow one, and there were a lot of uh, small totals in in that tournament. I think the fact that they are bowling heavy is potentially a a bit of a benefit here because uh, a lot of the teams, as we've discussed, uh, have have looked a bit fragile with the bat, and especially Ireland. You know, if if they can, uh, you know, you did a client gets out Sterlo or, or, or Balbo early and then, you know, they, they put a bit of a cat amongst the pigeons. Ireland aren't, you know, immune to, to a, a bit of panic. So I think that Ireland game against Germany will probably be their best shot of, of pushing through. And, and obviously they'll have to overcome Bahrain. They're a bit of an unknown quantity. They did play a warm-up game against Canada where Canada put up a, a pretty big total. Um, but yeah, the the whole organisation of this tournament's been a bit kind of lacking in, in terms of uh, warm-ups and, and preparation for a lot of these teams. And yeah, I think quite a number of players will be coming in pretty cold. Just to quickly talk about Bahrain, who I think on paper we would probably put them fourth in this group. But the thing that they do have in their favour is that they've come out of what's become an increasingly competitive Western sub-region, especially in the T20i game. They overcame Qatar chasing down 133 in 13.1 overs, which is crazy to think. And they actually edged Qatar by, I think it was 0.093 on net run rate or something ridiculous, which goes to show how important that big victory was there. But they are somewhat battle-hardened by that qualifier, though the point that you make, Nick, is that you know, in recent times, and and with COVID obviously playing a big part, it's meant that they haven't seen a, a terrible lot of of cricket. Uh, the skipper Safraz Ali is is forty years of age. Uh, he opens the batting with Muhammad Yunus, and they both go at a fair clip with the bat. So it, it looks as like it looks as if they're almost going to play a bit of a PNG type game where the openers are going to go hard, and if if they go off, then they could you know jag a victory. And it, it almost seems like the, it's the opposite of Germany's problem, where it looks like they've got the runs in them, but 
the bowling looks a little bit short. Vera uh, Patheran is probably the spearhead with with the ball for them. We don't actually know a terrible lot about them. You know, we've we've there have been various games streamed, but even in associate circles, teams like Bahrain don't give a whole lot out. We don't really know what happens behind closed doors. They're not particularly big on socials as well. And, and this almost leads into our, our rant of, of last week, Nick. Uh, what what do you expect from, from them this week? Yeah, as you say, it's it's hard to get a read on it. And, uh, you know, like I, I mentioned before, with, with so little preparation and lead up, you know, this quadrangular series was great for, for seeing how all the other teams are going to go. But the, the other four who weren't involved in the quadrangular, you, you're kind of left scratching your head um, about what's going to, you know, how it's going to play. I think, yeah, that's a good point about Bahrain's batting. In the Asia uh, qualifier, they did put up a number of uh, high scores or, or chase down some high scores. But on the other, you know, on the flip side, they were leaking runs uh, pretty heavily. So that's that's an interesting little uh, comparison there with Germany, who, who are perhaps a little stronger in the bowling department. And, and um, I, I guess having a, a strong batting lineup is... Uh, kind of a, a bit of a standout in this tournament. A, a number of teams uh, have have a, uh, a lot of problems with their batting, so having a settled, you know, top seven is is actually going to be an advantage here. Mindful of how much time we've spent on Group A, so I'm going to quickly go into Group B here. Uh, it looks the more competitive of the of the two groups. I think Canada are more likely to upset the Nepal's and the Oman's of this group than say a Germany would have Ireland and UAE. To go through the group one more time, Nepal, Oman, Canada, and the Philippines. We don't really know a terrible lot of the Philippines, given that you know their last meaningful matches were back in, in 2019, and it's a sore spot for, for Vanuatu. We know all about that already, so we'll leave them to last. But we'll start with Nepal, and there are still quite a few questions to answer with Nepal, particularly because they rested a number of players actually in this quadrangular. Kushal Bertel didn't really play as much as we possibly thought and they're missing Karan KC through injury which is I think a a big blow and I think it's one that hasn't really been discussed you know in great detail it's an abdominal injury and they're going to miss him for you know a substantial amount of time there's been a a bit of change at the helm Pabuda Dasanayak is back we've talked about that a little bit but he's reunited a new captain in Sandeep Lamachane not terribly sure how that's going to go Ganendra Mal is still in the side after you know he lost the captaincy we know that Kadka is no longer in the setup as well but it's an interesting one because I think in times gone by Nepal have been very bowler heavy and looking at this team now I almost think that they're batter heavy where there's a lot of power in the top of the order now with the likes of, of Bertel, Shake, and even Mallow almost adding a dimension to his game on that front. Dependra Singhari, you know, for lack of a better term, is becoming dependable. Um, that's pretty bang average for me. I'm really sorry, guys. <laughs> and Sharad Vasork has kind of been put in this finishing role that he's sort of done in the Everest Premier League as well. But again, that's a little bit untested. And then looking at the bowling, obviously Lamachane leads the line. Bahara will play a big part with the ball, but... It's strange. I actually look at this Nepal team and, and think that their strength is almost more in their batting. So, yeah, Nick, I, I, I don't really know where to kind of put them here. Qualifying is a minimum expectation for the fans, but I, I don't know where this team is. I think on paper they're capable of qualifying. It will take a lot to get there. It's possible, but I, I'm not quite sure how to read this team. Yeah, it's on a bit of a knife edge. I think they could either pull it together and, you know, we've seen Pabudu Dasanayake uh, in the past has, has got the best out of Nepal. Uh, you know, he, he was in charge when they were at their last T20 World Cup or, or World T20 as it, as it was called back then. So, you know, there's that on the one hand or there's a lot of kind of instability and, and uh, you know, shuffling around with their players on the other side and, you know, they could just kind of fall in a bit of a heap. <laughs> and, and and go absolutely nowhere, which you know we saw them do in regional qualifying out of Asia a couple of years ago, and and you know that uh, kind of embarrassing defeat to Qatar, and and they just looked uh, quite poor. So uh, Nepal, you never really know what you're going to get. I, I think, as you said, Dependra Singh Ire looked to be the best with the bat at the top there. Uh, Lokesh Bam uh, made his debut in this series and he, he looked promising, but yeah. he's kind of symptomatic of, of Nepal where they, they find these you know shiny new players and, and give them a couple of games and they look good and then 
they they don't you know stick with them yeah. o- over a number of games and and you know we saw Kushal Mala is a key example of that. Kushal Mala, where's Kushal Mala? You know he, he looked really good last time he was playing and you know his domestic form hasn't been good, but at the same time you, you want to give these guys a chance and. I just feel Nepal has a lot of players that have they've kind of shuffled in and out and whereas you know the UAE Chirag Suri is a great example of this he he didn't really do a whole lot in the first little patch of his career and and now here he is looking like one of their best bats and 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 just the fact that they gave him a decent run in the side and, and they showed some confidence in him I think Nepal because they do have that fan base maybe they they sort of demand quick results and and if you can't produced straight away you you're discarded or you know you're on the merry-go-round which i think is unhelpful in the long term bang on i think at the look we're used to nepal being in a disjointed or unorganized or some kind of challenge or something happening in the background so it's almost half the course for a nepalese team coming into an event sandeep is captain you know it's all been very quiet online people talking about supporting sandeep as captain it sort of feels like there's a bit of negativity around that too and i don't know whether that will have seeped into the into the team that seemed to be you know it's all well and good for the, all these players that got sucked to now be back but under the captain that was then appointed during that time it's I don't know. Pabudu's done amazing things in a lot of places he's been, so I guess we can only hope that he works his magic again here if you're a Nepal fan. But I just don't like the feeling around the squad at the moment. And, you know, as you said, with Kashal being being dropped and and Mala being retained when he's, you know, he averaged 85 runs per 100 balls and no one else who scored more than 11 runs in that competition um, was worse. So the fact that he's been retained the squad over a young star who only, what, six months ago people were talking about being the next big thing is concerning. And I guess time will tell, as he said, Karen KC being out with that injury. He's a huge loss who holds together that lower order with the bat and takes critical wickets. Um, very attacking player. So, yeah, look, I... We're going to get to the predictions, but I've probably changed my viewpoint on Nepal's finishing position now over the course of the last week on the back of their performances and this the squad in general uh, in Oman. It might be worth carrying straight into Oman here because, uh, again, it, the the word inconsistency is thrown around and in Omani cricket, it, it, it continues. They weren't convincing in home conditions in the quadrangular series at all. I think there are frailties in the batting outside of Jatinder Singh. And, and with the ball, they are relying on Kawa Ali, who was once a part-time leggy and now seems to be the man at the front line, along with Amir Kaleem's left-arm orthodox. And he's not getting any younger. He took a five-wicket haul in this series, which... Well, you know, it happened. Uh, I don't know what I what I particularly feel about it, um, but I think it was more down to some poor shots from UAE on that particular day. But that's just this humble podcaster's opinion. Looking at Oman and Zishan Maxud runs the team again. He's the ICC Associate Player of the Year. He's going to give you quality both with the ball and with the bat. They are missing Akibilias, as we said last week, to that uh, that tumour in his in his leg. Uh, he claims it's, it, it's non-cancerous and everything's good there, but he misses potentially six months of cricket, which is a big blow. And again, you, you look at the team and, and Jacinda Singh plays a big part and the late order hitting leaves a lot to be decided. Nazim Kushi shows glimpses of it with the gloves. He seems to be favoured in front of Suraj Kumar in, in that respect. But again, it's about working out if Sandeep Gowd or Muhammad Nadeem is going to play in the 11 and not really quite working out who works there. But Bilal Khan, we keep coming back to this name, the Yorker specialist Bilal Khan. If he's not the best bowler or the best quick bowler at this event, he is in the top three. Um, you would think that he'd have to have a pretty big tournament for, for Oman to ensure their qualification. Yeah, you, you mentioned Zishan Maksud there, the, the captain. His batting was looked pretty sluggish, and Oman in general just have been kind of flat ever since that uh, the T20 World Cup, where they kind of underperformed a bit. And I, I don't know what it is. They've they've looked okay in the one day cricket that's been back in in the Cricket World Cup League too, but uh, they just seem seem to be lacking that spark to adjust to the T20 format. And you know they've had a lot of guys just batting a bit slowly and, and bowling kind of that length that gets, um, you know, that's very hittable. Uh, P- PDP was saying in the group chat that uh, Wazim nearly hit his rental car uh, when, when Fayaz was bowling some, some particularly juicy stuff to him. Uh, so, you know, I, I think Oman, as we've seen in the past, definitely had the talent 
but whether they can put it together and whether they can sort of find a bit of zip and and find the energy that they need because i think that's the real difference is not not the skill or or, or any of the, the players being particularly bad it's just the kind of missing ingredient in in the energy that they've had now you mentioned Bilal. it was interesting he took one wicket in the three games in Oman, still only went for just over fives, but that tells us that teams are just trying to block him out and whether that means his effectiveness will change in this. Time will tell, but we know he's probably a better bowler than that anyway and you'll still uh, be bowling and breaking feet or bowling bowling batters uh, at will. So, uh, no, I'm looking forward to watching him. I think, I think you'd watch, you could have uh, issues with your eyes, you could be issue with the, the, the broadcast, which I guess we're expecting to happen anyway, <laughs> uh, and you could just see him trundling in and you'd know his gait and his running style from a long, long way away. So uh, looking forward to watching him bowl a few big in-swinging Yorkers that gets everyone excited. Canada, your domain, Nicholas. Quick word on them. They were edged out by the USA on a super over defeat in the Americas qualifier. That was the only thing that prevented them from going undefeated in the group. Looking at it, they're, they're still missing Nitish Kumar, who's unavailable due to work commitments, such as the plight of the emerging game in, in many respects. Matthew Spores is a name that's been included. We don't really know too much about him, but uh, we do know he's an Aussie who qualifies for Canada and is an all-rounder who bowls leg spin and will help out Saad bin Safar. I think, Nick, that probably leads to our, our question in that it looks as if Canada's downside is probably the quick bowling side of things. Even with Nitish Kumar out, there is potentially enough batting talent there to really post scores. It's just a case of having 11 players perform on any given day being able to, to overrun either Oman or Nepal to get into the top two. Yeah, yeah. as I said earlier, I think they definitely can do it. And um, you know, last week I was saying that it's it's the hope that gets you. And looking at the way Nepal and Oman have, have been, you know, they've, they've shown definite vulnerabilities. I'm, I'm starting to think, you know, Canada's got a real opportunity to even top the group and avoid the UAE in that semi-final. So I don't know if I'm just getting too far ahead of myself here. But yeah, I, I think, as you said, their batting actually looks okay, even even without the fast bowling is definitely the weakness. But uh, again, even you know, as, as we said with the UAE, if, you know, they've got a number of spin bowlers there that can do the job for them. You know, they could almost, depending on the team makeup, have you know 16 or, or even 20 overs of, of decent spin. Uh, so it kind of depends on the makeup that they want to go for. But, you know, uh, Spores is interesting. Uh, Western Australian has played a bit of grade cricket um, over there. So they've had dug up, uh, you know, so, someone that with Canadian parents, I believe is the story. So he wasn't he wasn't born there, but he his parents uh, moved over to Australia and and yeah, uh, eligible that way. Will be interesting to see how he goes against uh, some of the more established sides and and whether that great experience can make the difference for Canada. Yeah, played a little bit of second eleven domestic cricket in in Australia too, sports. So he comes in with a bit of pedigree and maybe that unknown quantity, that unknown factor might help. Uh, in the case of, of teams not really knowing too much about them. And speaking of uh, no one knowing too much about them, Philippines come into the tournament very underdone and the last significant cricket they played in was probably the last T20 World Cup qualifier where they edged out a now Tim Cutler run Vanuatu. It wasn't Tim Cutler run back in 2019, but... The key point in all of this is that for them to progress here, and they progressed via rankings, given that there was no East Asia Pacific qualifier, to have a better T20I ranking than Vanuatu to progress here, it took the Philippines beating Vanuatu in a match that was only five overs aside due to, to rain in Port Moresby in 2019. And I think uh, Philippines might have made 46 and, and Vanuatu weren't able to chase it down. And it's only that result that put the Philippines above Vanuatu in the T20I rankings, which goes to show just how cruel the associate game can be. They are the fourth team on paper here in the group and probably the eighth team on paper across the two groups. Looking at the team, and it, it comes down to probably Daniel Smith and, and Jonathan Hill's impact on both sides, but mainly Daniel Smith, who will probably open the batting as well. Nick, you've seen a little bit of uh, Philippines in the flesh through qualifiers, actually back almost when emerging cricket started in, in Das Marinas. What did you make of them at, at that point? How they set up, how they run, and, and how do you think they'll go ultimately? Yeah, I think it was uh, Emerging Cricket's first outing as as an entity. So, uh, you know, the, it's a special place. And at, I, I like what they're doing over in the Philippines. Um, they're, they're focusing on Das Marinas for development rather than sort of getting lost in the shuffle in uh, Manila, which, which is a clever strategy. Um, in terms of the team, yeah, a lot of guys 
in that squad who who do have some great experience in Australia and of course a, a number of guys who've moved to the Philippines so you know they've got some talent but I think you know looking at the way they played in Das Marinas you know they're good for that level which is you know the sort of sub-regional moving to regional is kind of I think they're that's that's where they are at the moment as a team and this uh, global qualifier is probably a bridge too far uh, for for them to to make too much of an impact, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to downplay their chances. Um, I, I, they'll certainly try hard, but I, I think just in terms of the the quality of the op- opposition, they they look like they were going to struggle. Uh, quick predictions because I'm mindful of the time here, and Tim's got to do some grocery shopping. Uh, looking at Group A to quickly eyeball, I'm going to say UAE top the group. Let's go Ireland, Germany, Bahrain. And Group B, I will say, sneaky tough. I think Oman's up the group at home, Nepal second, Canada third, Philippines fourth. And then to quickly look at and eyeball those two groups, that would mean that UAE take on Nepal. I think UAE will be too strong and Ireland will take on Oman. And I think Oman will win that match. So I think I've got Oman and UAE qualifying. Yeah, I think I've got the same for Group A, UAE, Ireland, Germany, Bahrain. Uh, yeah, I just think Ireland are probably gonna get over the line against Germany. Uh, group B, I'm 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 all aboard the Canada train. I'm gonna say Canada tops the group. <laughs> what sound does a Canada train make? <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. They're 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 very slow actually. Uh, Canada's train system is uh, not fantastic, but uh, we we don't need to get into that. Um, yeah, Oman coming second in the group. I think they've just got enough stability and, and talent there to, to get over Nepal who you know looking at their preparation looking at their their team being in, in a bit of flux I think they'll just miss out and yeah of course the Philippines are coming coming forth in that group in the semis uh, UAE to beat Oman and Canada to get past Ireland like they did in 2019 in in, in the global qualifiers uh, same as you both with group A so I think UAE to, to top out above Ireland, Germany, Bahrain. It's a tough one. I've got Oman, Canada, Nepal, Philippines. It really is a, a toss-up, those three teams. And I know we talked in the past of it being of which team will beat the Philippines by more. I'd, with a four-team comp like this, I don't think that's going to be the case at all because it's going to be who beats the other teams in that potential top three. So that key game will be Canada, Nepal, I think. I think it will be Oman, Canada, Nepal, Philippines. I've got UAE beating Canada and Ireland getting over Oman, despite all of the challenges we've got talking about them. Um, So yes, UAE and Ireland to go through to Australia 2022 for me. I like that. We've got plenty of difference there between the the three of us. So I I look at this competition with a little bit more intrigue. Thank you, uh, boys, for your input and your wisdom. Oh, Tim, you've got one more point. I just want to bring up, we we haven't mentioned this, but going through the the schedule again and talking to some of our esteemed colleagues Ah, in the emerging cricket world, what are the two most important games of this of this tournament, gentlemen? Uh, probably the two semi-finals because they determine who goes through. No, 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 no. The third place playoff. Come on, Bez. <laughs> <laughs> they are playing both semi-finals at the same time. Yeah. On the same day. Do we think this gets a late change? One would hope so. Now, the only reason I can think that you do that is you want to make sure both sides you know, have the same weather on the on the ground side by side. But it's Oman. It did rain in Oman this week. Yeah, I will okay. make that point. Okay, so let's remind ourselves, ICC.tv, you cannot watch two games at once. This tournament is basically entirely concurrent games. ICC TV do not let you watch two games at once. And the two most important games in men's associate cricket this year until the next qualifier are on Tuesday the 22nd of February at 4pm local time. And they're both being played at the same time. I'm reliably informed that we're going to have Peter Delapena as anchor on one ground and Andrew Lender the other. So everyone, don't go back and listen to my rant last week about <laughs> Peter Delapena. He, he was an anchor in his early days. So at least we've got commentators that know about associate cricket. But Memo ICC, please, whoever's listening to this message, if you get this message, can you please put both those games on after each other so we can watch them both separately because even as nuff nuffs as we are we are not going to be able to switch backwards and forwards within an app 
that is famously unreliable to try and go between two games. It's going to be impossible, even if you could watch both at the same time, great side by side, but that is below optimal. That is suboptimal. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hope that changes. I hope it's going to be a late change. Ah, oh dear. It's just, it's just not a good situation. You know, We've only had one practice session paid for by the ICC. Only two support staff paid to travel with the sides. That That is, I think, three less than was afforded at the uh, the last qualifiers, maybe even more. I just hope we get the quality of cricket that we know we can, just unlike the organisation and the support around it. Um, but it's going to be a huge week on an okay time for those of us in the, uh, we call ourselves the Eastern Hemisphere, the Southern Eastern Hemisphere, which... The the, uh, the later games will, st- will might be too late for us, but uh, it's going to be a huge week of cricket. Great to have your wisdom once again, fellas, discussing the men's T20 World Cup qualifier A being held in Oman beginning this weekend at Al Amarat. Nick, you caught up with Dieter Klein and Venkat Gunasan. Let's throw to that right now. Hi, this is Ahmed Raza, and you're listening to Emerging Cricket Podcast. Well, with the Men's T20 World Cup Qualifier A getting underway very soon, uh, Emerging Cricket is excited to welcome not one, but two members of the German team who will be competing in Oman, left-arm seamer Dieter Klein and captain Venkat Ganesan. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having us. Now, I wanted to start with the qualifiers, which is uh, why you're there, why you're in Oman. Uh, the format has changed since the last edition in 2019, with this being the first of two mini tournaments of eight teams rather than uh, one big event with, with you know all the teams together. Uh, we've made no secret on the pod about being disappointed that the production um, is going to be, you know rather than a full TV broadcast, it, it's three camera streams on ICC TV. Um, but you know, from a team perspective, this is your first global qualifier, first time Germany's made it out of regional qualifying. Um, that's pretty exciting, you know. And th- and then you sort of you get the cut down version, so it's it's sort of got to be a bit bittersweet um, after all the tough work that's gone into it. Yeah, absolutely. So rightly said. Uh, I mean, watching the last global qualifiers, you know, being globally broadcast on you know big television networks across the world. Uh, was a huge motivation for us, you know, as a team, because we picked out the last global qualifiers by a very narrow margin. Mm, net run rate, yeah. Exactly. And when we wanted to, you know, when we had the uh, cycle for this World Cup qualifier, you know, we were determined to, you know, make the cut. And uh, so we made it. And as you said, it's a little bit bittersweet that there will not be the same uh, coverage uh, from uh, as good as the last edition. Um, but we're still happy with the opportunity to be on the global stage and, you know, compete against the big teams and uh, show what German cricket is all about. And just thinking, you know, on on this topic, you know, in terms of sponsors and potential interest back home, has it sort of uh, hampered your efforts to, to try and get a bit more profile? Absolutely, 100%, yeah, because uh, obviously with, uh, I think broadcasting is a major draw for the sponsors, so it would have definitely enabled us to, you know, draw... Uh, at least a couple of sponsors, you know, who could support in the development of the sport back home in Germany. Uh, but with the telecast uh, not as big as the last time, this is definitely, uh, it's a roadblock, you know, for development. Yeah, So potential opportunity, I would say, that uh, unfortunately didn't go away. And um, looking looking to how you got here, guys, um, you know, you, you made it out of uh, regional qualifying after that whole process was cut down due to a number of COVID cancellations. A uh, bit of a, a mixed result in the European qualifier, uh, you know, won three, lost three, came, you know, <laughs> last time you missed out on net run rate and this time you, you just got over the line on net run rate. Um, what What's the feeling in the team? How, do you think you underperformed in that uh, tournament? Uh, you know, are you feeling like you'll be, you'll be doing a bit better this time? Uh, I mean, from our perspective, I believe the competition this time was much tighter. Uh, last time we had six teams and uh, we had five wins and one loss. You know, so the result looks much better last time. Uh, but if you look at the uh, last year's European final, we had only four teams and it was a double round robin format. So I think uh, the competition was quite tight, and uh, the you know the statistical result probably does not reflect the way that we played as a team. So I believe that you know we ended up on the right side due to all the good things we did in the tournament as a team. When we won, we won, you know, a good margin and uh, ensured that our net run rate stayed above. Uh, we didn't lose uh, games, you know, by a big margin. 
So I think uh, that helped us to you know get across the line. It was a tough competition with four good teams, uh, quite you know equally matched, I would say. So yeah, that was I think a tremendous achievement for us as a squad, you know, in all these the last few years. And uh, looking ahead to the qualifiers here, you're in a group with Bahrain, Ireland, UAE. A very quick round robin, just one match against each team. How do you see Germany performing against these teams, uh, knowing that it is maybe a level above what you're you've what you've been used to up to now? Yeah, um, obviously we are. We're not going to stand back to any team. Um, we've come here with with the aim to to cause an upset, um, if you can say it so, and. Um, our aim will be, we'll be trying to get to that semi-final, um, to one of the semi-finals at least. And so I think the opportunity is really there. With the tournament being so short, uh, the opportunity will definitely be there um, to actually get to that one sem- semi-final. But um, if that doesn't happen, at least we want we want to to be competing. I think that is the one of the main aims as well. Um, and really making sure that that um, at least the the players are getting more experience um, at what this level is like and way forward will only be better then. So is this um, sort of viewed as a bit of a development opportunity as well as, you know, trying to qualify and, and you know, coming back better next time? Because there's uh, a number of T20 uh, World Cups coming down the pathway. Exactly. It, it has to be. It has to be. It's If, you, if you're not winning, at least you, you need to be improving and, and getting a bit of experience so um, definitely that is one of the, the big things that we want to get out of this so who are some of the uh, the names to keep an eye out for for, for viewers uh, in you know looking through the German squad list uh, we, we've got a quite a few few good players um, but if, if we have to mention I think we, we could mention three more or less um, Justin broad that is it's the first tournament that he's that he's joined the team. Looks to be a very good player. It's, we've not seen too much of him, but for the little bit that we've seen in the warm-ups, he looks a very handy player um, with bat and ball and outfield as well. So that is a real boost for the team. Um, and then um, also Rasul. Rasul has done very well for us in the qualifiers, the European one. And, and it'll be interesting to see how he, how he even steps up now um, in this tournament. And then we've also got uh, Mr. F- uh, Fayaz which has not played a lot of cricket on on turf wickets, but for the little bit that he's done, he is a very, very confident player, and I'm really excited to see what, what he's going to deliver for us. So we might get into uh, you know, cricket in Germany in, in a few minutes, but um, you know, looking ahead to your opponents, you know, who are you keeping an eye on? Who are you kind of targeting for that upset to, to make it into the semifinal? That's a difficult one <laughs> to, to really answer. Um, it will it, it will have to be one of the two big ones, uh, Ireland or, or the UAE. Um, at the moment, how these previous few games in this tournament that they've just played has gone, um, the UAE looks like a, a pretty good good side. So, but we are hoping to capitalize at least uh, in the beginning of a of a game and then see where where we actually where that opportunity might rise that we can really push and so on and. and who it, who it would be against, that we'll have to wait and see. But um, I don't think we can pinpoint out exactly one that we will definitely target to to win. And just to add to Deeds, I think uh, we cannot underestimate Byron as well. I mean, they have had a phenomenal uh, run in the Asia qualifier. Mm. So, I mean, with just four teams in the group, I think all three games are going to be vital. And uh, that's what we are hoping to capitalize on, you know. So getting a good momentum, having a good start in the tournament, uh, hopefully, you know, could turn into a positive thing for us and uh, make that semi-final. Yeah, it was interesting watching that quad series. You know, all the teams there, you, you saw a number of strengths, but also a few weaknesses coming out in those games. And it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's seems like it's anyone's game in these these short, quick group. Do, do you think, in a way, it's sort of a, a silver lining of, of the change of the format is that, you know, if you do get a, a bit of momentum early, you, you kind of, you, you're in the semis before you know it in a way, rather than, um, you know, if, if you are in that sort of big group with a lot of games, you, you've got a lot of time to sort of run out of steam. Yeah, I would say so. I would think so. Yeah, this kind of a format helps teams like us, you know, to uh, probably be a little bit even Stevens with the, you know, well-established sites. And uh, yeah, one good upset, you know, could 
changed the tournament in favor of us. So it's a positive thing for us, I would say. And um, just looking at, you know, you, you're sitting in your hotel room there. Uh, what's the preparation been like uh, in the last few days in the lead up to the, the tournament? Yeah, we've we've had some very good days out and got a little bit used to the conditions here and how the wickets are playing and um, the guys had some some good hits so so far. So we are really pleased with that because obviously we've all most of us have come out of a winter, mm, the, the European winter, yeah, exactly. So um, uh, it, it's good to get out um, in the open a bit and 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 get the get the rustiness out of the legs and so on. But um, the preparation has gone well. We've after the qualifier, the, we had the the three match series that we had also in in Spain right after the qualifiers, which um, allowed also some of the, the the players that didn't get too much playing time to also get some playing time. And, and we had some coaching sessions at, at Greyfeld as well, which is the new hub more or less mm. for for German cricket, which also um, I believe went very well. I wasn't personally there, but um, from what I heard, it went very well. Bit of a bit of a shock to the system. You know, the temperatures hovering in the single figures uh, <laughs> over in Germany. Yeah, but I think it's nice to come come out in the sun and you know train. So for sure, a uh, good change for us, I would say. For me, it's a very good thing. <laughs> I've not been, I've not seen the sun um, for ages. So uh, being South African, more or less, that is that's always up for me. <laughs> You're used to it, yes. Um, so just on that, you know, you you grew up in um, regional South Africa, really, um, but you have a German passport and a German name. So you know, how did the you know the Dieter Klein playing for Germany story come about? Yeah, that's actually a, a, a very weird one because I never I never knew that Germany was actually playing cricket um, <laughs> until I actually signed when I um, in England playing county cricket um, in 2016. And my agent actually told me, "Listen, would you be interested to playing for Germany if you if you could?" And I'm like, oh, "Jeez, I don't even know they did play cricket, but um, I definitely I definitely would love love to do it." And then. Obviously, did a little bit of homework as well, and um, a few of the umpires that um, umpire uh, our county games also in the past did some umpiring for Germany as well, and they were very adamant that I should get my name in the hat there, and um, whenever I can play, to actually use that opportunities, and that's more or less how I got then straight in contact with Brian Mantle at at German cricket, and yeah, the rest is now where we are now. Yeah, friend of the pod, Brian Mantle. Um, so you, you, I guess, hadn't spent much time in Germany up until that point. I've been there for, uh, on a few visits and so on to to the family and so on, and and my girlfriend comes from Germany, so uh, that is one up for me at least. That I, <laughs> uh, that I've I've been there. I think the most of most of the South Africans that's in our team, I've been there the most. So <laughs> that is a good thing. <laughs> so what what is the family connection there to to get the passport? Yeah, so dad is dad is German. He he moved to South Africa when uh, when he was about twenty years old for working opportunities in South Africa, and met my mum that's South African, and yeah, that's that's how it came about. And I guess fitting it around your county commitments, uh, you know, you said you moved over there in twenty sixteen. So is is it a, a sort of a bit of a challenge to kind of fit it around the the county season? Um, not really. The the only downside was um, fitting it in was actually that. 2019 qualifier because that was rang in the middle of our games, quite important games that Leicester had that I was playing for, which was a little bit of a headache for me at that point to make that decision. But the decision was more or less made for me that at the moment, at that time, was my main um, income or how you could look at it. So I had to make that decision and and stay with them. But yeah. And I guess this is kind of the the stock question these days, but uh, (laughs) Brexit... Um, how has that affected, I guess, you personally, but also you know other European players that you, you're aware of in the county system, and, and you know with I guess various changes to UK work law. Yeah, I, I was very fortunate that um, it didn't affect me too much because I was already in the system more or less. You can say at that point when the when the change was starting to to happen. So I, I'm I'm very pleased that I, I was there already. I know for a lot of other European players that 
um, had the ambitions to come over to the UK and play county cricket, that door quickly closed um, and so on as an op- option. But for me at the moment, I, I, I'm fine. Mm. Yeah, it seems like it's been sort of uh, slowly phased in. Uh, and I guess coming from a, a full member background, you said you know you you, you weren't even aware Germany had a team. Um, what's been kind of your assessment of the standard of cricket, um, you know, within the German team and, and I guess in associate cricket in general? Yeah, that was a, the first session that I actually went over to to join with the team and so on. I was um, I was a little bit um, worried what I what I might get and what the standard <laughs> would be like and so on because I had absolutely no idea what the standard would have been is at that point. And um, I remember the, the first training session, um, I actually bowled first. And I'm like, I don't actually know if I should bowl full pace to these players. <laughs> what happened? You understand what I mean? It's, and I can still remember how I bowled one back of a length. And this was in an indoor um, facility, but which is quite bouncy to one of the openings batters. And this guy literally just stood back and pulled me out of the middle. And I was like, Jesus. I was like, I don't think a, a lot of professional proper guys will do that to me, even on a turf wicket. So um, I think and from that point, more, more or less, I, I really got respect for the, for the talent that is in these teams. And, and the more I get, come across um, more associated teams now, it is, it's completely different than what I imagined it would be. And like I almost say, they are, they are more or less as a good um, minor county team, um, I'd say. And uh, Venkat, you, you don't get to escape. Uh, what's your cricket story? Uh, I originally come from Chennai in India. So I played uh, all my cricket, my formative years in Chennai. Uh, so I played age group state uh, for Tamil Nadu and uh, I represented the first division league, which is equivalent to premier, premier division cricket in the UK maybe in draw a parallel. So that's one step below our Ranji Trophy. So the county equivalent in India. So I played till my, till 21 or 22 um, at this level. And then I you know had to decide if it will be cricket or a professional career. So mm. I, you know, at that time, there were no opportunities like the IPL and so on. So it was way back in 2006. Uh, so I decided to go for a professional career in the IT world. And uh, then I moved to Germany in 2012 for work. Uh, and I was also pleasantly surprised to see uh, cricket happening in Germany. So I just casually started playing for uh, clubs, uh, you know, in the city where I moved to. And slowly I started figuring out that there was a structure in place and uh, there is a possibility for, you know, getting into the national team. The rule was different back then. So you needed the seven-year qualification with, mm. you know, exception of uh, three guy, two guys, you know, with four-year qualifying. So I got into the four-year qualification and I started playing since 2017 with the German team. Yeah, so that's how I got into the German setup. But my format so how, has been in Chennai, yeah. So how did you um, discover cricket? Because, you know, you, you hear stories of people getting into associate cricket and, you know, just seeing people playing in the park and, and thinking, oh, they, they have cricket here. So how, how did you, you know, find a club? Well, I just randomly Googled for it, you know, just thought uh, it would be good to continue playing the game. And uh, I found uh, some clubs, as I said, there was a structure in place, you know, so you had top cricket. And uh, uh, I think since 2015, there was a domestic setup that was brought in. So at mm-hmm. like you know, different regions, so we had six regions playing cricket across Germany. And, you know, these six regions would compete in what we call the super series back then. Um, so all the, all of this was established and that kind of, you know, gave the motivation to say, okay, playing international cricket for a country was always, you know, that was the childhood dream. You know, you wanted to play for India as a child and, uh, you know, having got that opportunity for Germany. So I was extremely pleased to pursue that path. And uh, yeah, for an amateur cricketer, I think the support from your family is also important because that takes a lot of time away from you doing full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. I think my family has been, you know, a big source of support as well, you know, to pursue this path towards German cricket. And yeah, just looking at cricket, um, I guess in in Germany more generally, you know, you, we we saw a lot of stories a couple of years ago about the the new clubs being formed with, um, you know, the immigrants coming in from from cricket loving nations and 
um, how cricket in Germany was was booming. I'm sort of interested to hear how this is going. You know, a couple of years down the line, um, are the clubs kind of being absorbed into the setup a bit better? Are they maturing, and 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 are you retaining all these players that have you know the influx of players? Yeah, it's been an interesting development. So personally, I have seen a lot of growth in the last four four years. I would say. Uh, where the number of players has increased tremendously, the clubs, uh, the number of clubs playing cricket across the country is also growing. Uh, I think we had six regions, and now it's kind of growing to eight uh, regions across the country. Uh, and for sure, the standard of cricket has also grown up, yeah, because people have come in from cricket playing nations, like you said, and that just raises the standard of even club cricket. The only thing that probably is lacking is the infrastructure. So we don't have, uh, you know, turf wickets in Germany or most of the grounds also do not have a very good outfield. So it's very few and far in between. Uh, so that's the challenge we face. But the growth has been quite, uh, you know, for an associate nation, taking that into context, it's been quite phenomenal. And I think it's the second fastest growing in Ger- growing sport in Germany. So cricket after football, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Yeah, that, that tells you about uh, how fast it's been. But uh, we still need to reach, you know, a lot of kids. Grassroots development needs to take place for the sport to be recognized, not just within the expat or the immigrant community, but, you know, going beyond and uh, being accepted by German people and the German population. And as national captain, how much are you involved in the development efforts? And, and you know, what, what sort of projects are you involved with? I try and do my bit. I mean, I'm actively involved in the administration, you know, at club level. So I do coach uh, kids. You know, I have a level two coaching certificate from the ECB. So I also train, uh, you know, kids uh, who, uh, you know, come and, you know, do workshops at schools and stuff like that. And uh, obviously, we take up initiatives, uh, you know, for the players, obviously, who are coming into the setup, you know, um, supporting with the performance pathway and so on and so forth. We are getting them into the domestic system, explaining them how it works and stuff like that. And the national team being a team uh, with with a number of immigrants um, and and sort of reflective of that, I guess, new face of Germany, um, how important is that, do you feel, the cohesion of that team to, to how you guys are, are fitting in uh, within broader German society and, and I guess the place of cricket within the, the national culture? I mean, within the squad, it's never been a problem for us. It's actually, you know, a positive. I see it as a positive. I mean, we all have, a, you know, very good relationship within the squad. We enjoy each other's company and it's like a lot, lot of fun, you know. So we respect each other's cultures and, you know, the backgrounds we come from. But at the same time, I think it you know it enhances and enriches our experience of learning from other cultures. And from a cricketing point of view, all I feel is that it just brings in the diversity. You know, so we play different styles of cricket, and that blends nicely together as the squad. So you have some exciting, you know, modern T20 cricketers. You have the experienced heads, you know, who have played cricket in a kind of more traditional way. So it all blends together nicely for us. Uh, within the society, I believe so. Most of us, you know, uh, learn the language, so we speak German. So it's not been a problem, and uh, all of us are either studying or working in, you know, decent jobs. You know, so that's I don't see that as a problem. So I think that's changing, and uh, I mean, we have had positive experiences, you know, living in Germany. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you so you you're speaking German uh, within the team because I'm just thinking of the Belgian football team where they you know implemented a rule about languages because you know they have the Germans and the the Flemish and the French and so they speak to each other in English. Do you, is the rule you have to speak in German or uh, we do English and German? We say either it's English or German because we speak other languages too. Mm-hmm. So we try and stick to English and German. And and Dita, you're. Getting to the second half of your career, um, I'm just thinking, you know, post-playing, is there any interest on your end in, in working with Germany, maybe in a coaching role or a kind of mentoring side of things? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've, I've just done my level three um, coaching badge as well. So I've got that and I'm, I'm sure with with the experience that comes with it as well and what I what I can give, give to German cricket, I think, there's definitely that opportunity for me after after the career, but we'll we'll see where that goes. Um, I don't see myself yet completely <laughs> finished with cricket, so um, physically and so on. I still feel I've got a, a a couple of years in me. So, but for for now, there's there's always the opportunity for that afterwards. 
And now getting to the question we ask all of our guests, uh, I hope you guys have had time to think about this. Uh, we'll, we'll start with Venkat. Uh, if you could change one of the laws of cricket, what would it be and why? Uh, I would uh, get rid of the fielding restriction of a free hit, you know. So when, you know, the bowler ah. has to face a free hit, I think it makes sense to at least get rid of the fielding restrictions because I think the game is so, you know, favoured in, you know, towards the batsman. So I think it, it gives the bowlers a bit of a leeway. What's interesting that you say that because you are a batsman so you're you're um but i'm also so i'm also a bowler so in the team i play more for bowling all-rounder role so <laughs> i don't bowl no balls but uh, <laughs> like, but as a captain you know you scratch your head you know when mm. you have to... uh, it helps you as a captain yeah, yeah. so <laughs> thank you is just saying that because he's sitting next to me and he wants to keep me happy <laughs> <laughs> i need to keep beats happy for sure <laughs> to get the well, best sorts. obviously being a bowler definitely get rid of the Pitching outside, outside. Ah, yes. Understand what I mean? <laughs> so opening up both sides uh, that you can get um, LBW from. <laughs> yeah, I think we have had a couple of bowlers say that. It would it would be interesting because it would change the way that batters kind of face up because you'd you'd have to worry about both sides of the yeah rebalance things maybe to, towards bowling. Binky has already um, come up with theories why why it should not be. Allowed. <laughs> that, comes what, his, that comes from his batting side now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you think it wouldn't work? No, I mean, I just felt that, you know, as a batter, uh, you know, ball pitching outside the leg stump is, you know, outside your eye line. So sometimes it could just be an easy way to get you LBW. Yeah? So somebody can spin it big, you know, mm. pitching outside the leg and, you know, hit the top of off middle. You could just get squared up as a batter. But you might you might be able to sort of change your stance a bit, go go kind of more crab style. The rule changes your product for sure, but you know just gives the bowler more of a weapon. As a mm. bowler, you know I would love it. <laughs> so you're 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 just split, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for making time uh, to chat with emerging cricket guys. It's it's been fun. Uh, good luck in the qualifiers, and uh, we'll we'll be keeping an eye on you on ICC.tv. Unfortunately, not on any big broadcasting. Uh, but uh, yes, we'll, we'll be watching. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Nick. Thank you. thank you. It's been a pleasure. This one, my side. A huge thank you again to Venkat and Dita for joining Nick for their chat in regards to the A qualifier coming up this week in Oman. Good luck to all the teams competing, and we'll see the two qualifiers here in Australia later in the year. That's everything from the Emerging Cricket Podcast this week. Remember to follow all the news and events from the game's new world at emergingcricket.com. And from Nick, Tim and I, enjoy watching all of the qualifier unfold and we'll speak to you next week.